0: friends. Everybody, Hello. welcome to the, the Macaw, Macaw
1: Podcast Universe. universe. and did the, you just have a stroke?
0: No, I did not. Oh, um, I just you started going, and I liked your passion, so I just wanted to listen in.
1: This is the podcast where we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals.
0: That is exactly right, Jordan. And um, to this this whole month, I believe it's been this month we've been covering uh, the Hannibal series. And the Hannibal series is a very odd series, and this movie is no exception and also at the same time kind of an exception to the oddness of it. And uh, we're covering today Red Dragon. Yes. Now, if you've been following along with us, you've heard us talk about Manhunter, which is based on the same exact book. Yes. So it is the same source material. Yeah, source material. It is
1: the same story.
0: It's the same story. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is ultimately the downfall of this movie. Yeah. Is that we've already seen it, but done by, instead of a a not-so-good person, who's just like an okay director, it's done by like one of the great American directors. That being Manhunter by Michael Mann. And this movie by someone we're going to talk about in a little bit mm-hmm. but I'm not going to mention his name quite yet. Um so what was your experience with this movie?
1: Um I have seen this quite a while ago. I feel like it might have been a bro- a blockbuster rent slash it's been it's a movie that's been on TV a lot. I want to say AMC. But uh oh, just a channel like that. Yeah. Um and I remember as a kid it pretty it freaked me out a lot and I don't even remember what parts they were. Well, I do remember, I think I saw the part of him going down the street in the wheelchair on fire. Yeah. And that really freaked me out. And then the whole tattoo thing freaked me out. Um, and this, I had never seen Manhunters who didn't know that was a movie. Right. And then when we, I watched, I watched, I remember really liking it. Uh, but having, like being at this point now in this series and being at this point in my life, I think that, from when i saw it till now my tastes have changed a lot
0: yeah well i can totally see how if you have not seen manhunter if you watch this movie you're like oh yeah this is a cool thriller
1: because it's a good story no matter what
0: but um when you see manhunter and the fact that they didn't really the things they added and changed about the story were either really inconsequential or kind of just not that interesting of changes you know like adding more scenes with hannibal isn't Super interesting after having seen Silence of the Lambs and a whole movie specifically about Hannibal. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I don't know it's it's like this movie just sort of exists. Yeah, is how it feels. Yeah, and I think
1: like a movie no one asked to be remade, but they did it anyway.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, so many people didn't see Manhunter. It was yes. like it was just a matter of time before they remade. Just it.
1: a weird like blind spot in film history.
0: Yeah. Um. But I remember when we were recording and when we finished watching Manhunter, there were a couple things where you were like, well, I'm excited about Red Dragon because I remember that movie kind of doing certain things maybe better or in a way that you thought maybe you would think was better. Mm -hmm. And then when we watched it, um, I have a note on here. I'll just skip to it because I I took handwritten notes this time, folks. Uh, Jordan drew a skull. She grabbed the notebook. Uh, We still had about an hour left of the movie grabbed a skull, put a dash, drew a skull, drew a skull, and wrote, I'm bored to death. So, <laughs> I think she liked Manhunter a little bit more.
1: Yeah. But again, I, I, There is some interesting stuff in this movie, though.
0: There is. And I, uh, like I said, I think the take of this movie is, if you haven't seen Manhunter, this is a cool movie. Yeah. Directed by a bad guy. Yeah. But if you have, they got
1: a great cast. The this cast is an is all-star great. cast.
0: Um, and I wonder how much more I would have liked it had I not seen Manhunter. Uh-huh. Because even something like, maybe I should save it, but Edward Norton, uh-huh. I like Edward Norton a lot, but I feel like his performance compared to William Peterson is like basically not good if you compare the two. I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, that's actually quite the overstatement. I, that was, was it, saying
1: it while we were watching the movie.
0: Yeah, I didn't connect with him pretty much at all, Yeah, um, which uh, there's a reason for that. But w- <laughs> there's like too much right off the bat. And I'm also, folks, I'm just so excited. because oh I Oh my got, gosh, please stop talking about I it. I got some new gear. So th- hopefully the audio quality is going to be a little bit better on this episode. He won't shut up. I'm just excited, Jordan. And I'm not going to allow you to damper that because this is fun and exciting. It's like I got a new toy. Yeah. And it's beneficial for all of us. So... Um, but here's, here's the thing that we have to talk about is this movie was directed by someone who, um, we're going to add to our list of he, who shall not be named. Now we all know if you've been listening to this podcast, if if we had like a, a Wikipedia of our podcast, one of the things would be, they refer to a certain film producer who used to work with Quentin Tarantino a lot as he, who shall not be named. And we don't say his name on the podcast, We're adding a new entry today. I'm going to say his name once, and then if we say it any time throughout the rest of the episode, it'll be a beep. His name is Brett Ratner, and he directed X-Men, The Last Stand, Mm -hmm. uh, Tower Heist, um, The New Hercules with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and at least one of the Rush Hour movies, but I think he did all of the Rush Hour movies. Oh, okay. And he... During the Me Too movement, it was exposed as being a very uh, not good person. Uh, you can look it up yourself if you'd like. We're not going to rehash that stuff. But, uh, the movie's
1: not about... Er, this episode is not about that.
0: No. But it does... When, when you read something like that, you're kind of like, ah oh, man, I wish I would have just torrented this movie instead of bought it legally, because I don't want to put money in this guy's pocket. But...
1: I get it. Yeah.
0: Hopefully it just went to the actors or something. <laughs> um. So that's that and uh, he's uh, ring the gong micah i'm gonna add a gong in there yeah he's been added to he who shall not be named uh so the screenplay to this movie is written by ted tally now that might be familiar because ted tally wrote the screenplay for silence of the lambs which i already told jordan and so she's just like i know (laughs) (laughs) but um it's kind of just interesting because if you remember last week they asked him if he wanted to write the screenplay for Hannibal, and he said, no, I think the book's really gross, and he didn't want to write it. Amen, brother. But then we, he comes to this movie, and he's like, yeah, I'll write it. Okay, so then we have music by Danny Elfman.
1: Yes, and it shows.
0: Yes, pretty pretty good score. Yeah. It's a little, like, over the top. It's kind
1: of it's very big, it's, but it's <laughs> a Danny Elfman score. Yeah,
0: you don't hire him for subtlety. Yeah, You know? You're um, going to
1: get a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like a choir of, oh, at some point. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, yeah. What is your favorite Danny Elfman score?
1: Well, he did Nightmare, right? Yes, he did. It would be that one. That one. But, I mean, Tim Burton's always got really good scores because he's usually got Danny Elfman doing them. So Yeah.
0: He always has, his They're scores so are so um frenetic and energetic uh-huh. and I they're just dun, 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 particularly dun, dun,
1: dun, dun. remember buying specific songs from Alice in Wonderland the Tim Burton mm. remake so Wait, something good that did Daniel come Finn?
0: from it I Daniel believe Finn. he scored all but maybe sure. one Burton movie um but yeah my favorite is the Spider-Man score he has some great themes Which in there Spider-Man the Tobey Maguire yeah he did oh. those and he did the and that's such an iconic score to me
1: yeah danny elfman um, oh man i was watching the um what is that disney documentary called like the Imagineers, imagineers yeah <laughs> okay um i was watching the documentary and they were talking about um the haunted mansion that were they were putting in i think hong kong or shanghai disney i can't remember which one and i'm kicking myself for not remembering and Everyone needs to watch the documentary. It's super cool. But Danny Elfman did the the music for that
0: ride. Oh, oh! Wait for which ride?
1: For the that what the ride through we watched with the monkey, Mystic Manor or something. Mystic
0: Manor in in China, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, it was just like I was watching it, and there's this guy. Who looks, you know, kind of like your average—not average, but your kind of like typical artist, quirky person—and he's really like kind of zany.
0: Uh-huh. And he's
1: got on the, you know, he's got kind of like funny glasses. To me, they're kind of funny. Yeah. And <laughs> I think someone says like Danny or something like that, and I was like, that? Wow, Danny Elfman, and he's kind of like geeking out over the. Yeah. They were had little miniatures of the ride, and That's he was kind of cool. geeking out over it. Very he, cool. He,
0: Danny Elfman, looks the way. I'd imagine after hearing his music it sounds.
1: And it makes more sense than most things in the world that him and Tim Burton collaborate so often.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. On cinematography, we have Dante Spinotti. Spinotti, mm-hmm. Spinotti um, who did the cinematography for Manhunter, but he did not do the cinematography for any other Hannibal movies. They
1: they let him do a do over <laughs> if he felt if he felt like it. How I weird wonder is if it that? was um because definitely, I think the script is different. No, take that back. Like a lot of the set, it's just a lot of it's different in the way that the movie looks. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious if he's if it was like a fun challenge. It's it's to make really, it look different.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I know so the 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 thread that we've sort of talked a little bit about, but we haven't totally dived into all the way is that Dino De Laurentiis, he produced Manhunter. He did not produce Silence of the Lambs, but then he produced Hannibal, and then he did produced this movie. So I, I wonder how much of that is like, well, Don uh Dante Spinotti, Spinotti, did a great job. Let's just have him do this movie again. I don't know. Yeah. Um it's very weird. And I did I did see something, and this is just a little um teaser for the guest, because I don't think a lot of the people who listen to this are going to want to watch Hannibal Rising because, you know, nobody likes that movie. Yeah. But uh, uh, there's an interesting fact about why that movie and why that book were written that kind of blew me away and is kind of sad, I think, Mm -hmm. in an artistic way. So tune in next week to hear more about that. Uh, This movie, though, Red Dragon comes out October 4th, 2002. So like a year, two and a half years after Hannibal, the budget was 78 million domestically. It makes 93 million and worldwide it makes 209 million. Huh? And, um, Hopkins was initially hesitant to, um, have Hannibal in three movies, his Hannibal. Yeah, And so he initially was like, I don't know. Then I think he read the script and, you know, saw Ted Tally was going to be on and thought, let's do it. um, and Tally signing on helped secure Ray Fiennes and Edward Norton because they both didn't like the movie Hannibal. Oh, okay. so they were not they like weren't interested in doing it. But when they saw he was writing the screenplay, they were like, OK, we'll do it.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And the tattoo took eight hours to apply. Wow. Um.
1: And it's all real.
0: Yeah, they, they did a real tattoo on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I got. That's it.
1: Okay, um, actors. We have I've, we we have not covered Edward Norton.
0: We have we are in our second episode ever. The Incredible Hulk.
1: Cool. Uh, we have not covered Harvey Keitel.
0: We have not. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, Harvey Keitel is Mr. White in Reservoir Dogs. He's in Grand Budapest Hotel, Pulp Fiction, Bad Lieutenant, uh, Mean Streets. A very early Scorsese movie that's amazing that yeah. he's really good in, that's- and he's in Scorsese's first movie.
0: Yeah, who's knocking at my door? Mm-hmm. And and uh, Mean Streets is like the first um, bona fide all accounts Martin Scorsese classic,
1: mm, starring I, Harvey Keitel.
0: Yeah, his yeah. other movies before that, we've seen I think two or three of his movies before that. That might be his third or fourth.
1: What's before that? Um, Besides the what we just talked about,
0: Boxcar Bertha, which we haven't watched. Okay, I don't know where Alice doesn't live here anymore. Takes place oh. that no that one's after me I think Mean Streets is his third movie
1: yeah I thought it was like really early
0: so that that's his his first like a hundred percent out of the park like amazing masterpiece yeah so if you worth a rewatch
1: yeah if you like <laughs> Scorsese watch Mean Streets
0: it's so good
1: um so what's fun about Harvey Keitel is he probably. He is a Quentin Tarantino guy, a Wes Anderson guy, and a Martin Scorsese guy. <laughs> what a wonderful career this man has had. Yeah. <laughs> and he's so good.
0: Do you remember? He's in like two scenes of The Irishman. And yeah. he, he, just, you're just like, I can't believe this guy. <laughs> he's I so can't good. with, I love with him. a look, this guy.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Emily Watson plays Reba McClain. She is in Punch Drunk Love, Gosford Park, Breaking the Waves. Chernobyl, the show, King Lear, uh, a Little woman remake, or a uh, like not, not the Greta the Gerwig one. one. Yeah, uh, she plays Marmy. I think that's mom. Yeah, it is. Um, and she's in the Kings and Kingsman. I mean, she's in a lot of other stuff, like but. the
0: Kingsman, like the like that franchise action movies. Yes. Okay.
1: With Taron Edgerton.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um. Yeah, she's she's good. She's really good in this movie. And, of course, she's amazing in Punch Drunk Love. Um, oh, I think I, that's all I've seen on. her in, actually, of, w- of what you listed, but really she's cute. really good.
1: And then Mary Louise Parker plays um, Graham's wife. Yeah. She's in Red, the show Weeds. I think she is, like...
0: She's the lead of that show. I think she's Weeds. She's, she's the titular <laughs> Weed.
1: <laughs> um, she is in R.I.P.D., Red 2, Bred Sparrow, Mr. Mercedes.
0: Which, uh, side note on R.I.P.D., your mom or someone in your family bought... This is just for the audience. Uh-huh. They bought that movie, and then they bought it a second time. And I think you guys had seen it in theaters, so I don't know who... Oh, tr-
1: I've never seen that movie. Don't let don't no, no, me no, in with but that your, one. But
0: someone in your family saw this movie, and uh-huh. they bought it. And then they bought it again, and I think... They they just forgot that they bought it. I don't know who is so into R.I.P.D. And well, then they kept trying to give me the movie a, as a gift, and I'm like, no, I don't want this. My
1: my dad is a sci-fi fan, and he'll he likes even crappy ones. Uh, they're also big Jeff Bridges fans. And then there have been a couple of Christmases growing up where my parents bought each other the same present. My dad also got my mom into Pitbull. Fun
0: fact, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide himself.
1: My dad would you know do kind of the typical stereotypical husband thing and buy a bunch of crap on christmas eve and he bought her yeah actually that i mean he would buy her other stuff but that was just a lot of (laughs) like stuff she didn't want um and he got her a bunch of cds and he got her a lot of pitbull for some reason and she now really likes pitbull it
0: was probably a joke he probably was but it just as a joke
1: she will listen to the pitbull's channel on sirius xm
0: oh man (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's very uh when i hear his music it 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 kind of hurts my ears a little bit like i don't like it that much um that's it for me okay so of course we've talked about ray fines because we've covered harry potter and for some reason harry potter and the half-blood prince is our number one downloaded episode by a long shot that's right um but uh ray fines let's talk about ray fines a little bit in this movie you Uh, don't like
1: his performance if you're asking me about it
0: no I no, I think I think he's good. I don't think it's it doesn't get near as um it doesn't get in my head like the previous movie. And
1: I don't think it's performance. It's because of his performance. It's because of how it was written. Yeah, that's what I think is the big difference is for this movie. Because in the last movie, they made him seem uh, I mean they they made him seem the same in both movies in terms of like what he might struggle with. And Manhunter, they got into it a lot more, which was more interesting. Yeah, like why he would kill people in a certain way, um. But then when we even were introduced to him, he seemed like a really like modern, uh, artistic person, just based on decor of the house. Yeah, all the, all that stuff. And then in this movie, he lives in a like a decommissioned nursery home, where they reveal that's where he was raised by his grandma, and his grandma, I'm assuming, like she abused him in a number of ways yeah so it's like he's still living in this place where he was abused so he's a battered soul yeah and they they i don't know why they chose to do that oh, i forgot to look up the synopsis
0: oh, i can't okay. remember
1: what like where i don't i'm curious which one's real and right. why they chose to do like if this one's not real why did you choose to do it the only thing i can think of is i feel like during this time that was more in
0: I feel like this is probably more true to the novel. Because yeah. m- and remember, in Manhunter, and folks, if you're like, man, they're going to keep comparing these movies. They're the we same are. movie. We, they're that, the same movie. That is what we're going to do. Yeah. So um, in Manhunter, I feel like Tom Noonan, he's the serial killer. We actually, it's more like context clues of who he is. And because of his performance, which is just unbelievable, it really gets under your skin and you, you get it. You really get it. Whereas in this movie they I think they try to get more into the actual red dragon portion of it. That's true. And in Manhunter they they don't really well, they don't really get into that part of it. It
1: feels like in Manhunter the the police like the investigator spent more time trying to figure out who he is as a person. And then in this movie they kind of just like reveal it. Yeah. Um with like kind of when they introduce us to the character, which you hear like an old woman uh berating him for like yeah. wetting the bed. And it's like pointing out his facial deformity which mm-hmm. is just a cleft lip so like it, it was just it's just interesting how, how different yeah. that is and how i guess how they chose to reveal it more in those different ways
0: right my problem with ray fines in the movie has nothing to do with his performance it's that you put a cleft lip on the guy and he still looks great
1: Oh, you think he is good looking? I, I think he he's looks... Too, he's too villain villainous at this point in my life. He's <laughs> sure. played too many villains that he well, but... he creeps me out. Oh, wait. It's also because of this movie he creeps me out. Okay. When I did see it as a young kid and saw it, like it's one of the first oh, things this I saw movie him movie that we're in. talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> like when it was on TV. Yeah. And it was probably one of the situations where I'm asking my dad, like, what's this about?
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And seeing him and knowing that he's the bad guy, he has always given me a weird feeling. Yeah. See, I... But you think he looks great. So I guess I, this is your Har- Javier Bardem moment.
0: <laughs> well, I just think Tom Noonan in the previous movie, just really, like, you understand when a blind woman falls for him and how he has been self-conscious his entire life. And in this movie, it's a little like, there's, like, a really great-looking British man. <laughs> like I
1: think that you're thinking has, like, that the casting is just a little bit better physically.
0: Yes, yes. I, I think it's it's not an acting problem. It's a casting problem, I think, in this movie. Sure. And it is slight. I'm, yeah. I'm get, digging into the she weeds. She is
1: blind, so she doesn't know that he's good looking.
0: Yeah, but for him to be so self-conscious about how he looks, it's oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. dude, I don't look that good. Yeah. So, you know. um, But uh, anyway, the other person I want to talk about is Edward uh Norton. I almost said Edward Jones. Uh, yeah, but,
1: the investment company. Yeah. yeah.
0: But um, so he's in this movie, and I love Edward Jones. Edward, <laughs> <laughs> you love Edward Norton. I love Edward Norton. Um, but, but do you, you you said something really interesting about his off screen persona that colored the way you saw him in this movie. Yeah, do you remember that?
1: Well, I said I hope that he gave the director a really bad time. That's because right. the guy sucks yeah because Edward Norton is known for being extremely difficult mm-hmm. of an actor,
0: yes um, and I think he has this edge to him where you where you need a
1: that's interesting that he's acting with Anthony Hopkins and he's known for being like a stickler for things like Edward yeah. Norton. like it's more like maybe an art form to him. Uh-huh. And from these quotes that you've read from Anthony Hopkins, where it's just a job—you show up, you clock in, and you do your work—I uh-huh. wonder what that dynamic is like. Well, it's like, like, sorry, sorry. Let me just finish this. Okay. Where like he says, the director says, "Cut," and Edwards like, like storming off, like really pissed on how he delivered that line, even though that's probably the take they put in the movie. I don't know Edward Norton
0: this you're, might not be how making up a scenario yeah. but like
1: and then anthony's just like okay it's tea time <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i i feel like and and even with those quotes anthony hopkins is definitely concerned about the artistic part of it but he's a little less like oh i'm a killer and i need to you know go to go to some country and go into international waters and try human flesh in order to play hannibal he's yeah, just like i don't pragmatic. know i'm just an imaginative guy and i just yeah. pretend i killed someone and then when it cuts i go have dinner with my wife it's a good job yeah. <laughs> you know yeah um but i think that edward norton when he's at his best the exception being when he's in um wes anderson movies because for some reason wes anderson can always he can
1: direct anybody
0: get weird humor out of people but um he's weaponized best when he has something... weaponized
1: wow well, yeah actors are weapons
0: well, yeah, they are in a way, um, but when he has something in him that's that's he's really struggling with or like a, he needs a darkness to him. Okay. So I, when I think about like American History X, Fight Club, especially his mm-hmm. probably best performance, um, and Birdman, mm-hmm. it's like he has these messed up things he's wrestling with. And in this movie, um, I know he is wrestling with his past. But maybe
1: you're thinking he didn't wrestle enough.
0: He he didn't wrestle enough with his past, and he doesn't have that deep dark stare that William Peterson has, where he's like, I don't know, I don't know, I just am giving up, kind of. But I got to do this, I guess. This is like, I'm a good guy, and I'm morally not- incorruptible, and I've you know I've been stabbed once, but it's okay. And to me, I'm like, I'm watching it, and I just go, I just don't buy you as this character. But not
1: as convincing. I agree with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's again a casting problem yeah
1: and i know i said in manhunter that i was like i think edward norton did a better job just for my memory i'm taking it back yeah i think william peterson did a better job however i just don't think the character is my favorite Yeah, it's a little too on the nose for me but like i said i think in the first episode (laughs) like this is before like this is like when that character was like maybe first seen on tv right like the haunted detective
0: and kind of and we would encourage our listeners uh, particularly those of you who have not um uh written a review for us yet to write a review and tell us if you preferred our red dragon episode or our manhunter episode just as the movies did and maybe compare it detail it out and make sure you leave five star review on apple yeah and, and it doesn't deal to actually accept
1: that. that type of review unless it's a five star
0: that's true that's true and um yeah so we are going to need that to happen for those of you who have not made reviews yet and we eagerly anticipate that Um, but let's get into the movie now. Okay. So one thing that's kind of fun is you see Hannibal at a symphony Mm -hmm. and he's sitting there and he is just steaming because there's a flautist who is not, uh, not not quite getting it right. Mm. And he can tell. Mm. And then we go to dinner and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, anthony hopkins is with the the he's co- on, like, coastal the, elites he's on
1: the um orchestra board of this prestige orchestra and he is hosting dinner and they're talking about the the flautist has gone missing like mm-hmm. oh it's not really a shame he sucked chuckle yeah. chuckle chuckle and then uh he says some other words eloquently and they start eating dinner and they're like what what is this like this is so good <laughs> yeah. and he's like if i told you i'd have to kill you or something no no,
0: he says um if i told you you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to try it or something like that which that's fun hannibal stuff yeah i mean he's everybody's favorite cannibal he's hannibal yeah so um you know we have all that and then we see edward norton come in and talk to him as a psychiatrist and he's kind of talking about this killer
1: so, yeah, Hannibal is a forensic psychiatrist as well as a psychiatrist.
0: Yeah, so he's, so, like, consulting on the case. Yeah. And then... Um, he,
1: Edward Norton says, I figured it out. He's eating the body parts because these bodies that are being found are missing certain uh, parts of the body. Uh-huh. And he's like, I, they don't think they're trophies. I think that they're eating them. Yeah. So he's on the, to Hannibal, and he's like, how come you didn't even tell? figure that one out, Hannibal? And Hannibal's like, well, I'm only human.
0: And then you know Graham walks over, opens up a book, and it's talking about like cooking body parts or something mm. like that. And there's
1: like notes in it and stuff.
0: Yeah. And then he turns around. Hannibal stabs him.
1: Stabs him like and twists the knife kind of stab. Those are always hard to watch.
0: Yeah. And so this is this is it's laying the groundwork. Um, I think this is kind of fun because we didn't get to see it in Manhunter, but I definitely prefer the ominousness, uh, if that's even a word, of walking into the cell with this person you don't know who it is and then finding out that they have this weird history i think that's much better but it's also like if you're gonna remake it you may as well add this scene
1: i i liked it i like the addition and i think it's because of what we have already so but i yeah
0: then we're back to um we're into the future
1: several years later according to the movie yeah
0: and i have to sidebar temporarily on this it's just so funny when a movie feels the need to point out a time change um because usually we can figure it out by context clues but it's even funnier when they don't when they're not specific with the time so it should have said you know seven years later but it says several years later it's not even so what was the point of telling us that it was years later if you're not going to be specific yeah. about it, yeah, I just funny. think that's so silly. So
1: he is now living in Florida with his wife and son, mm-hmm. as you all know. And <laughs> yeah. um, Harvey Keitel approaches him. He plays Crawford um, in this movie and is trying to get him to come work on this case. It promises that he won't get it. He won't let him get in too deep. Yeah. But he, they're they're at a brick wall, and families are being murdered, whole families, and they believe they have three weeks until the next one.
0: Yeah. I do think it's cool that in all four of these movies, the Crawford character plays it way different. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of fun. I I, I like how Harvey's playing it. The
1: Manhunter scene of this movie is way more compelling.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, seriously, every single scene is better in Manhunter. It just is. I, I can't think of a scene I it, like. More I just in this feel movie. like
1: Michael Mann was intentional with every single shot in that yeah. movie. And this one, it's just a lot of cuts because someone else has started talking.
0: Well, it feels like, and right. I, I get this impression from uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named, he's kind of i um, I'm a... I, he's a work for hire director. He's uh-huh. not like a Paul Thomas Anderson. He's not going to like...
1: It's Like, hey, this uh, Hannibal character is pretty proven. People kind of show up, you know, they show up, they pay yeah. for the ticket. You want to make a movie?
0: Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll make a movie. I mean, I haven't seen Rush Hour, so maybe he does some interesting I mean, stuff really there. really popular. Um, and it does seem like that's kind of its own thing, but th- this is a... It's a good-looking work for hire movie, but it's yeah. it is a work for hire movie. I this think this movie
1: looks a lot better than Hannibal, I think.
0: Uh, y- yes, I I put a little asterisk on it because I think, I think this movie looks more appealing to me. But I think H- Hannibal is a much more uh, artistic movie than this one.
1: I agree with that definitely, and I do yeah. think like location-wise, uh, set design is more impressive in the other movie. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that movie just looked so blue.
0: Yeah. but um, And washed out. But what's what I will say that I like about this movie, and I said it in the Silence of the Lambs episode, I said, I hope that each one of these movies looks vastly different from the others. Mm-hmm. And I've been loving that part of it. Yeah. Um, even when it doesn't work for me, I'm like, that's so cool that this is this weird franchise that doesn't look like itself. Because we're so used to watching, you know, Marvel movies where they all look the same. Um, and they're they're starting to get a little more artistic. But still, it's like they fit in a universe. And this is like, nah, it's a different director. He's just yep. going to do his own thing.
1: Yep. So we're, you know, Graham accepts. Uh, he goes and he checks out the first murder scene. All the same stuff, story-wise. Of course, yeah. it all looks very different. Um, he still is talking to a tape recorder.
0: Yeah, I mean it is the it, like the we find out at some point that it's like 1980 or whatever. So it's it, oh, it, it is, is still... not a
1: 1980, but okay.
0: Oh, I th- I thought they point that out at some point.
1: Not in my memory.
0: Oh, you don't have yeah because this this takes place in the chronology of Sounds of the Lamp. so it's in the 80s. Okay, well,
1: 1980, it it's got to be later than that. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Um, y- yeah,
1: the year of 1980 is what I'm referring to. I understand. <laughs> Um so yeah that I mean that's you know we we get to be with Edward for a little bit longer in this seeing him try to understand what's going on here. Yeah. Um kind of like what we've said though it's like yeah I've seen it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I th- I think that this movie wasn't more graphic than like the last movie or Manhunter. I was thinking that maybe they would go there. Yeah. Like they would go Uber Graphic. Well, especially
0: because Hannibal, as we discussed, is, like, a very graphic movie.
1: Yeah, and I think we're starting, early 2000s, we're starting to get into, like, we're kind of, for some, we went through a period of crazy graphic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For, like, a R movie. Yeah.
1: And, of course, this is an R movie because of the content, but they don't make it super gory, I think.
0: No, this is, like, besides, if you cut, like, a couple of episode of F-words, this is on, like, AMC, if it was a show. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Actually, from what I hear, the Hannibal show is maybe more intense than this. Yeah. So um Yeah, so he checks out the house and um we see that um Philip Seymour Hoffman is the reporter in this movie. And
1: he plays it way different.
0: I yeah, I thought he did a I good love job it. of he's just, just tired. <laughs> he's just a tired old reporter who's not old, but just kind of
1: well. He seems like the the scummy beat reporter when Stephen Lang in Manhunter I think was going for a like a gotcha journalism. I want to be well known for being yeah, yeah. the gossip guy. When Philip I think is going more for like he's willing to to be a scuzzy person to get his story. Yeah, and I, I love it.
0: Yeah, and I mean I can't help but love anything Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. did. He's so I good. mean I haven't I still haven't seen. A movie of his that was even close to a bad performance yeah i always forget you have not seen capote right
1: i have well on tv i have
0: oh, okay okay that's okay cool because uh, if not i was like i need to get that from the library and we should watch that you should get it anyway
1: because i would like to watch it i haven't watched it since reading in cold blood
0: oh okay great performance and that's yeah. that's a performance where um he does do some out there stuff yeah um and if you know anything about me you know that sometimes that stuff is a little annoying to me but i think it really works in that movie mm-hmm. it makes sense that he won an oscar for it yeah like yeah hands down um so i'm just trying to because we've talked about this plot it's kind of interesting um so we, uh, graham goes and visits Lecter. when he goes there an addition i did like to this movie is they have um the psychiatrist chilton in it again
1: well he's like the head dude
0: yeah, so that was kind of cool. And Barney's in this movie again. Um, was was he in Manhunter? Because no, there was a guy that that oh, dropped I, off a book I don't think so to, to I don't him. Think okay. So. Um and I do really like I, I made this note, um, that there's no they they didn't go, hey, this is you know, an older I mean, this is before this technology, but there's no de aging in this movie. And it's so funny. How much that doesn't distract me at all from seeing no. Chilton or Anthony Hopkins? I thought
1: I actually thought that the Chilton, the actor, was looking very good.
0: Yeah, he looked compared great compared
1: to when Silence of the Lambs came out.
0: But they both look like oh yeah, it's been twenty years since the Silence of the uh-huh. Lambs. Um, but gosh, just think twice about de aging every time. Mm-hmm. Think and then think about it two more times mm-hmm. because we, we we don't really need it that yourself of some Money on your movie, yeah. Um, th- there's like a part of me that even, even though it's maybe not the best thing is I, I just kind of want people to start recasting actors when they're young again. Cause yeah. I'm just like, I just don't want that trend to continue forever. Um, so yeah. Uh, they the-
1: talk about the case. He's trying to get information from Hannibal because he's the top guy. And I, I do think it was interesting before that Harvey Kaitel and Edward have a are talking about the house, and Edward realizes, oh, the real reason you wanted me to come back was to talk to Hannibal. Yeah. And I think Harvey Kaitel's acting in that scene is really good because he's yeah. like, you know, I'd do it if I if I could, but he's not gonna talk to me. Like he just kind of breaks.
0: Uh-huh. I and, like that. Yeah. Um the the all the all the talking with Hannibal scenes, they they suffer from two things one we've seen manhunter and then two we've seen silence of the lambs because <laughs> there is just something again weaponized so much about the hannibal character on silence of the lambs that when you're watching this like when he's going down to the cell and you're seeing the old set from silence of the lambs you're it's just kind of like gimmick you're like ah oh, this isn't really that tense for me yeah uh cuz I very, saw Clarice go through this and it was much more emotional and dramatic. Yeah,
1: this is very indulgent. Cuz yeah. cuz they got Anthony back and they weren't sure if they were. If they could. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, so they they talked to Hannibal. There is a scene where Hannibal is walking and and he's connected to a chain and I thought that change of location was kind of fun. Yep. Um there's i mean it's so hard let's to just
1: get to ray fines all the okay, detective okay, stuff is so boring
0: okay, cool so we <laughs> thank you
1: we are it cuts to the film developing plant area that ray fines works at yeah the yeah and he um i i'm assuming meets emily watson i mean whatever he talks to her we find out she's blind shocker we all knew that um <laughs> I think that her acting is inc- just she's just so good. She's she amazing. Looks like a doll to me. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's that too. But um, yeah, so th- I they have that other guy that kind of like interrupts our conversation, which isn't the last movie in the story. Yeah. Um, and in that movie, you know, they make him seem like he's just a dude that's a coworker, and is like, "Do you need a ride home to Reba? Because. Yeah. He, you know, you don't have to take the bus if you don't have to. Seems like a very nice guy. In this movie, that character, he is obviously trying to pick up on her. Yeah. And I really like the actor they casted. He, he's, I think, like a type, you know, type yeah. casted. And I think he always does really good. He's great. Yeah. In that role. So he's trying to pick up on her. She's, you know, you imagine she's always rejecting him. Uh-huh. Um, but this... uh a uh, Ray Fiennes guy is very interesting. Mm-hmm. He seems very dark and moody, and he's quiet, which is an interesting dynamic of someone who's blind who has to rely on other senses. And he is so quiet; yeah, draws her in. They do that really well. They have like good chemistry in that way. These two actors. Yeah. Um, is that when he drives her home? I think
0: so. I mean, there's there's at some point he takes her to see the tiger. Yeah. Um, The tiger
1: seems uh, way less sedated in this scene in in Manhunter. Yeah, it's like
0: growling and (laughs) stuff.
1: Um,
0: Well, not growling, but just breathing and kind of...
1: (sighs) Yeah, I think... And then, you know, the scene when they're at his house or whatever, and um, that that whole sequence is just like way more chilling in Manhunter because he's watching a video of a family that he's going to plan on killing. And in the in Manhunter, they cut to it so often, and they keep replaying, like he's rewinding, 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 playing the same image of the mom in a bathing suit. Yeah. And they're kind of doing it in this one, too, but in that one, it's just, like, way more.
0: Yeah, and, and I think what, what hurts the scene in Red Dragon is he literally recreates shots from the Manhunter sequence. Yeah. So there's that shot where he's looking at her breasts and then he's looking at her groin yeah and in the manhunter one i was like squirming and just going yeah oh no and in this one i'm going wait you just you did the same shot maybe
1: just don't do it like just redo something else. like do something else
0: yeah like, and, and i guess this begs the question i mean when something's based on a book when and i'm asking you i have some thoughts but when when do you go okay i want to remake this or we should remake this even though it's been made into a movie.
1: I think that if you want to remake something that's already been done, you you better have a good angle. That's different. That's exactly
0: what I think. Yeah. Cuz that
1: I mean that's why, you know, movies that like stories that are in the public domain get remade all the time because they're free. Like yeah. the they don't have to get rights. So we get a ton of King Arthur movies, a lot of Robin Hood movies. Yeah. Um we Great Gatsby this year became public domain.
0: Uh-oh. I'm curious Uh-oh. what's going to
1: happen with that. <laughs> but, you know, and, and we get so many of those that they're not even, like, no one watches them anymore. I, right. I know I'm kind of getting into something else, but it just makes me think of, like, Invisible Man was remade last year by Lee Whannell. Yeah, and, that, and there was a
0: really a, strong take to that.
1: Yeah, and he had something to say about it.
0: and And he spoke to our times and, mm-hmm. like, a woman with being abused and stuff and talking to that issue. And
1: I'm curious, I don't know if we've talked about it. We might've talked about it in our Insidious series, but I'm curious, like, cause he's still, I would say relatively new as a director, much more well known as a writer Lee Winnell. And I'm, I'm curious if it's like, that was a huge step for him of like, we'll let you make a movie, whatever the studio is. I don't remember, but it has to be universal. It has to be something that's free or, you know, it has to be something where yeah. the rights won't be crazy.
0: Well, they have all those monster rights.
1: Oh, that's right. That's so right. So
0: they, that is actually funny enough that you mentioned that that was more like they s- sought him out and asked him that to do an invisible. Man Cause
1: I movie. could also see it being as like, do you have a movie you want to make? Yeah, this like, is a budget. And he's like, like don't, five
0: things you can choose from. Yeah. And it's like,
1: I don't really have to rewrite the, rewrite the invisible man. I mean, yeah. of course he did above and beyond yeah. what we could ever ask for. But yeah, that was a really long-winded answer.
0: Yeah, well, and I it, the the thing that's interesting about what we were saying is, is the examples we used, you can go pretty vastly different. Whereas if you are following a book like this, it's plot-centric, you know, how do you tell something different? And I think the answer is um, Little Women. Yeah. Because she did a lot of changes. From what I understand, I have not read the book and I've only seen Greta Gerwig's Little Women. But I watched this... Like forty-minute video by Patrick Willems breaking down like what's the point of an adaption kind of thing, much less one that has been made like ten different versions of. Doesn't Little he women. talk
1: about in that video how she changed the format, like the timeline, she and that changed was like the how it thing. goes
0: back and forth, and yeah. that was and and a lot of it was to show like the poetic nature of the story and the repetitiveness of their lives and stuff like that. Yeah, and then she also sets up the ending of Little Women. Spoiler alert. To where it's like she goes to the publisher and she mm-hmm. the publisher says, You can't end a story with the a, a woman not being married. Mm-hmm. Or she has to either be dead or be married. Mm-hmm. And then um and then Joe. this Joe goes out and, and chases uh the guy mm-hmm. and finds him in the rain, but then it cuts back to her and she's publishing the book. So there's
1: She says yes to it, but she keeps most
0: of the rights.
1: Like, like she negotiate, like go.
0: Well, but, but what's interesting about the ending. And I, I actually, I feel like it's right there, but I didn't, didn't actually get it. Is that Greta Gerwig is saying like, you can take this ending as literally like she goes off and she finds this guy and they start the school or you can take it as this is like the ending to her book that she had to write and Mm -hmm. that this didn't happen to her Mm -hmm. because this, it's like, it's so hard to explain, but, um, yeah. I mean, Greta Gerwig's a genius, and uh-huh. you hear us talk about her all the time. We love her, um, but I, but she had a strong take. That's yes, the whole yeah. point. Yeah. Whereas this is just a retread. Yeah. Makes it hard to talk about the plot.
1: <laughs> well, it it's a it pales in comparison because all we can do, which is it, it's a dis, at a disadvantage in this movie because all we can do is compare it to the one that's already been made. That's the issue with that's the the risk you take with, with remaking something. Yeah. So this scene in particular, when he's watching the video and Reba is there and they end up having sex in the in Manhunter, it is so chilling and weird yeah. and like you feel like you shouldn't be watching it. Kind of mm-hmm. weird. And this is just like he is watching the video she's there she puts the moves on and then manhunter they show that that character isn't enjoying it or he is like yeah
0: that was a weird He's like
1: expressionless but we don't even get that in this movie they cut away from whatever ray fines reaction could be
0: yeah and and i don't know it just it feels like in this movie too which i you know this is another way to do it i'm not necessarily criticizing it just pointing it out that ray fines is much more of like a a mythological like serial killer crazy. Whereas in Manhunter, I feel like they kind of stripped away some of that stuff. And it's more like, here's a strange person and this woman's wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm expressing that right. I think in
1: Manhunter, what I thought was more interesting is based on how they designed him down to his costumes, down to where he lived. They, they kind of created this image of someone who is maybe into very modern things aesthetically So then he's in, he's believes he's going to transform into the red dragon and he's killing people to help to also make them transform. It's like, yeah, you do seem like a guy who would know that when in this movie there, there's an angle of, he was abused as a kid by his grandma. And now he definitely has a lot of issues he has not worked through. And there is a red dragon as well. I don't really get how that factors in and maybe I missed it.
0: No, I, I think that they actually do it more in this one, but I, It feels like they they, focus on
1: it more, but it just is like, it's almost like pick that he (laughs) was abused or pick that. Well, they kind of whatever.
0: Keep you going. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out why the one works and the other doesn't. Yeah. But I, I think like the Noonan character feels like maybe I've seen that guy walk down the street. The Ray Fiennes character is like, oh, it's like this, this mansion. You could spot him from a mile away, whatever. Whereas, and I know it's kind of weird because I just said Ray Fiennes looks great and he looks awesome, and then the other guy looks very scary. But the other one just felt like it had more of an edge of this is a real story I could read, and I would read about in the papers, um, and go, oh my gosh. And the other one was like, oh, this is a movie. This is a movie. Yeah. Um, the Ray Fiennes angle to it. Um, there, There is this whole thing where he, um, which apparently is in the book, where he goes and sees the painting of the red dragon and then he eats the painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that interesting. That was pretty interesting. And there's definitely
1: more of a struggle of him, like, fighting with the red dragon, like, in his mind, like, arguing with it. Yeah, because he doesn't want
0: to kill the girl.
1: And it's telling him to.
0: Yeah, and it's like, it's also the one of those things where I'm like, oh, you're not trusting the audience. You're you're not like taking lessons from Hitchcock. You got to trust the audience, because I felt like in the previous movie there there was this feeling and you even said it, I think, on the podcast where you're like, maybe this would have been the girl that fixed him. But then he saw that that guy try and take her home mm. and then he went crazy. Mm. But this movie they have to like spell it out for you like that he's he's about to, you know, blow his brains out with the shotgun and stuff and he goes, "I don't want to kill her." And he's yelling at his grandma who's in his brain. And I just thought, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get it. Yeah. Um But but I also the funny- thought it, Yeah, yeah go, no, go ahead.
1: I thought it was kind of funny in that scene when he's uh, like d- tormented by it and he's like about to kill himself and then he doesn't and then he looks at the the picture, the the reprint that yeah. he has of it, and it, he, it has the museum on it. It's as if he noticed that for the first time in his life. I think that it's his epiphany of, oh, I'll just go there and <laughs> yeah, eat yeah. it, or whatever his plan was. But, um, I don't know, it just was like like you said, it just was a movie. Yeah. It didn't get under my skin.
0: No. but But the funny thing about it that I need to keep circling back to is I do think if you just watch this movie... Just straight up watch it, and you did not watch Manhunter, you'd be like, oh, this is cool. So, if, yeah. you, if you're listening yeah. to this right now and you're going, like, man, they are really like ripping into this movie, um, but it's probably because you haven't seen Manhunter.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't get a butt in Manhunter, but we get Ray Fine's butt in this one. <laughs> Maybe a win. <laughs> 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 I'm joking, but yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, you, you know, I mean it it is kind of like well if you you know if someone remade the Godfather and you saw that and it was like a pretty good movie you'd be like well that's cool but if you but then if you saw The Godfather you'd go oh that's crappy. Yeah. I think it's I think it's really that I mean that's our big take. Yeah. Is and, and I do think because the Hannibal character at this point is getting so big in his legacy to make the story that has him in it the least amount kind of uh, it, it's like he's gotten too big for this story, at least the Anthony Hopkins yeah. version. So yeah. it's you kind of are the scenes that he's in feel like it's fan fiction almost, yeah, <laughs> and it, it almost. I mean, I lo- again, I am not in any way, like Anthony Hopkins rules, he's amazing as Hannibal. He's done an excellent job in all three movies. Um, and his performance in Silence of the Lambs is just unbelievable. But when I watched this, it was just like, I prefer Brian Cox's performance for this story a lot more. Because I just liked how William Peterson went in there and there's just kind of this normal guy who somehow is just like way smarter than him. And there was something about the way that Brian Cox played it so just kind of calm and collected. But, you know, immediately when he gets the phone, he pulls it off and, like, makes the calls and is just psychotic. Yeah. Um, where, whereas, of course, Hopkins is very theatrical in his performance. Yeah. Um. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so weird, and I, I feel like we skipped everything Edward Norton because it's all just really boring.
1: <laughs> well, all of his stuff is really the stuff that they keep the same, which just makes sense because that's all the plot building. They yeah. they do the, um, they have Phillips and Hoffman write an article and they give him false information, which leads to his kidnapping by Ray Fines. So there's a scene of him in the wheelchair. Um, it's the same scene different setting I guess and then he's also in flames to going down a street still pretty scary anytime someone's on fire stuck to a wheelchair that's gonna be pretty scary yeah that's all the same um but maybe we should talk about like the big like climax yeah that lasts forever
0: so I think they thought to themselves like if we change the ending then we've done a good job. Maybe. Maybe that was their whole thought on this. I don't know. Because the ending is much different, sort of, not like ideologically, just like set piece wise. But there's a scene where the killer is with the blind lady, and he clearly shoots himself in the head, clearly. And she feels the head, and she walks out. And I was kind of like, oh, this is weird. And I thought, okay, okay. I, I like I was kind of checked out of the movie at this point and I thought, Interesting. OK, emotionally Her
1: reactions, crazy. It's yeah. Like, oh, this is becoming a murder suicide. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm
0: going, it seems like the story's done, but I feel very unresolved. OK, I'm I'm interested. Where are you taking this? Is this going to be some weird just note of uncertainty that you're going to end this movie on? No, he comes back like a super villain in Star Wars who survives from the dead. And he attacks Will Graham at his house,
1: so there's a throwaway line, like Harvey Keitel calls him and says that the the remains that they found in the burned house was not Ray finds. It's this person who which was probably
0: the the guy who was trying to pick up the blind lady, right?
1: I don't know he just leaves him there, but it's it's but just they so just weird make because it sound like oh, he's been gone on vacation for a week, or people think that it's like such a throwaway line that. I mean you're probably supposed to feel like wait, what?
0: It's it's just I feel like it's very unearned and the way they shot it, of course they don't actually show us him shooting his brains, but he walks off camera and I think the gun is in his mouth when he walks off camera. And then there's a gunshot and then she feels his ha- his brain. It's like so I guess we're supposed to believe that he takes the body and she doesn't notice it in any in any way. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then he walks on off screen down with a gun fast. in his head and then shoots the body and then blows up his house. And then, yeah, goes to Florida. It just doesn't really for, for a movie that's so like methodical. You're like, what?
1: I want to say before we get there, I, I, I do like this scene between Edward Norton and Emily Watson where she's in the hospital and he is telling her you did not attract a freak. You attracted a man who had a freak on its back. Yeah. I thought that the, the, like, script wise, that was very well done. Yeah. Um, and then the acting was really good.
0: And then he follows it up with, But your hair looks really oh, bad. Yeah. You gotta fix then your he, hair. And then
1: he's like, Except, like, you're a great person, except for your hair. And it's like, <laughs> Where did that come from? That is so weird.
0: And I know it's supposed to be charming, but it is again, not. It's, it's like a. It's Let Edward me give Norton. you a
1: compliment and then backhand offense. Yeah.
0: Like,. Another actor could pull that off. Edward Norton can't pull that off. He's he needs. Oh,
1: this is what I said when we were watching the movie. I feel like Edward Norton is out of touch. Of and I don't know this for sure. Uh, he just feels like someone who is out of touch with the common man. That's yeah, why it's yeah, hard yeah. to believe him yeah, in things. Yeah, 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 when he's supposed to be like altruistic <laughs> or whatever. Because
0: and come on the pod anytime, but
1: sure, but I it, it he just feels like like a lot of what he did is stuff that he would never succumb to doing yeah, right something. right right i think that i might that's like a, a dumb thought that i have hearing that he is probably difficult right and it's like well who was he to be difficult and it's like i don't know he's an artist can you be a little difficult <laughs> this is my internal struggle but this is how my brain talks to <laughs> each other
0: <laughs> okay gonna blow past that yeah. um so the killer shows up at will graham's house he attempts to kill his son. His son
1: with a piece of mirror.
0: With a piece of mirror, um, there's like some shooting, but but Edward, because in a previous scene, um, Harvey Keitel gave him his big old notebook, this big old thing of evidence. He just hands it to him, and you get to just take this home, this evidence, like you can just look at it. And you can get your fingerprints all over it and your saliva and your hair. We don't care.
1: Yeah, he's killed like 10 people. We're not sure. Sh- we're totally sure he hasn't killed anymore.
0: Yeah, we're, and we're sure there are no clues in here. This is like a keepsake for you. Yeah. So he opens it up and he's looking through and he's seeing all this stuff about the grandma and he's seeing, like, I'll cut it off if you pee in the bed again and stuff like that. So then the killer has Graham's son by mirror point. And he walks in, and I hated this scene. I absolutely hated it. Edward Norton looks at his son, and he starts going, he sees that he peed himself. And he goes, you peed yourself? I'm going to cut that thing off. Uh, you're no good. You're no good at nothing. You are the worst. And I don't like you, son. You're such a bad son. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, replicating the grandma. And then Ray Finds looks at him and kind of goes, oh, huh? And then he attacks him, which allows him the upper hand to kill him. Mm -hmm. And I just like the amount, the audacity of a father to just go, "I'm gonna risk my son's life by by pulling this stunt and hope it works." He's
1: a profiling expert.
0: (laughs) But also, like the movie, the movie does this very. He says bad things to his son, and there is there's no repercussions to him doing that. There's not a scene where his son and him have like a little heart to heart. I don't know. When I was watching that, I'm like, I know what you're doing, but a little kid doesn't recover from that very quickly. Like, there we need some closure on that. It's definitely weird. It's definitely weird. <laughs> and then and then they're like, "Okay, we're all good to go."
1: And I that's don't know.
0: that's the movie. Yeah. And I isn't there something Oh, they did. Oh, I hated this too. I hated this. They did like a comic book thing. This is not a comic book series where um they they're like hey Hannibal this is how the movie ends hey Hannibal someone's oh, here to, yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. here to visit you she's fresh from the FBI and it's what's like her wink name? wink wink yeah and then yeah he says what's her name and then it cuts to black come on get out of here yeah I don't want that kind of stuff in a serious adult drama
1: yeah me neither
0: that's that is a fun like Captain America what He's back or something, but no. And even then, usually it's too hammy. Yeah. The movie kind of is bad.
1: When you get to compare it to Manhunter.
0: And actually, I do think that the last half hour of the movie, even outside of Manhunter, I think if you were watching the movie, you would just go, oh, this kind of sucks, and it brings it down to, like, I was at a seven. Now it's a six. Yeah. But when you've seen Manhunter, it's like, oh, this movie is, like, a four or a three. It's just director for hire is how I, I, I view it.
1: Yeah. They got a really good cast. So it's a good movie. You know, right, it's right. like base level. Good. It's a watchable, good movie, but whatever.
0: Yeah. So that, that's red dragon next week. We're going to cover Hannibal rising and then we'll be finished with the Hannibal franchise.
1: Do we an- announce the next series?
0: I think we do. Do you want to
1: No, Cause I'm always afraid. I'm not remembering it correctly.
0: So folks We're very excited about this. This is going to take most of this year.
1: And you're like, what could it be? (gasps) Maybe it's DC. (gasps) Maybe it's Fast and Furious. (gasps) Maybe it's um, another one that I can't remember. Star Wars. Star Wars.
0: It's kind of one of those. So what we're doing, folks, is we are going to be exploring the character of Mr. Bruce Wayne himself, Batman. So what we're going to do. I'll I'll lay it out for you because I think it's fun and exciting. We're gonna cover the first four Batman movies, um, which is Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. We have an insane guest on the guests, fir- guests yes, that are comic book experts. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that much. Um, uh, so we have we have that. Then we're gonna take a slight break after we do those movies, and then we're hitting Nolan's Dark Knights. And then we're going to take another slight break. And then we're doing something we've been waiting. What this podcast has kind of been building up to in a lot of ways, because of our namesake, Marvel, MPU, we're going to be doing the DC Extended Universe. Oh, I kind of forgot I was
1: ending with that. But I do remember feeling like that was the trade-off to do Batman.
0: Yeah. Because I think we really... To talk about it fully, you know, we have to kind of go through it all. Um, Pending... Pending stuff on the spin-off solo movies. I don't know if we're going to cover Joker or the ba- or yeah, Jonker or the Batman. I'm not sure if we're going to do that. So we'll we see. Talk
1: about Robert again.
0: Uh, yeah. I kind of, I Paul just, Dano. I just really don't want to watch Jonker again. I I'll hate be that either. movie, but if, Hey, if you sign up for Patreon and send us a message, if we get 10, 10 people to sign up and they all send me a message that says Jonker, um, then we'll do it. Okay. But it has to be new patrons. They can't be old ones. We don't have to be ones. nice about it. Yeah. Well, we're going to tear the movie apart because it's a bad movie. Um, But folks, go to www.patreon.com slash Micah McCaw, M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-A-W and sign up for anywhere from 3 to $10 a month Um, and get our monthly episode Uh, that's only available on Patreon where we cover movies that only have two entries so this month it was patreon chosen and it is zoolander that we're covering this month big change of pace from hannibal so we're having fun over change. there and then uh, next month will be zoolander 2 and then the month after that we're going to do the adam west batman movie mm-hmm. that'll be only on patreon so you should go over there it supports us it helps us out and it means a lot to us mm-hmm. and it's fun yeah so um a cup of coffee but next week We we gotta see Hannibal rise Just like we had to see Han Solo get his name Watch him
1: rise like Icarus Flew too close to the sun
0: (laughs) Who's that Peeking behind the bars That's Hannibal Who's that Played by four different Stars That's Hannibal And whose face Is detachable that's us Hannibal. And who's everybody's favorite cannibal? that's us Hannibal.